Hello and welcome to the Lou Review. This is your host, Rosa, and today I have a special guest, Kenny Coleman of the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast. Hi, Rosa. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) I brought whiskey for us. Why, thank you. I appreciate (laughs) that. And um, that's very on brand of you. I would think so. I mean, it was, I, I want to make sure I make a good impression. And anytime mm. you show up to a party and you bring bourbon, it, you're immediately somebody's favorite. So. You know, I have found that. Yeah. And all my friends are laughing right now because they're like, she really does. She brings it in her purse. <laughs> I once had like two or three little bottles, um, a combination in my purse that somebody had just given me. But I was at Bunko with a bunch of women. They're like, you keep all those bottles of bourbon in your purse all the time? <laughs> I'm like, no, I really don't. It's not a problem, right? I'm just really friendly. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. They're just it's, not, it's not all for me. It's exactly. <laughs> Got to be ready to help a friend. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what everybody has, like their trunk bourbon they keep in the car. Somebody oh. has their, mm-hmm. I know you're a nurse, but some mm-hmm. people have their desk bourbon. They keep it either oh. in the drawer or on yeah. top of their desk. Definitely so. not at my work desk. Probably not. Nope. But yeah, there's a lot of people that just have, have bourbon for sharing. I have a special cabinet at my home, and it's got too much bourbon in it. So I need to have a party and share it, definitely. I can guarantee you I have you beat because... I believe you. It's, it, bourbon is just overflowing in my house, in my basement, as being a part of bourbon media. Yeah. I you, bet they're always begging you to try something new, right? Yeah, and so I'm, I'm not, I kid you not, about two to three bottles show up every single week at my front door. Wow. And... Is we and we only produce what we call our whiskey quickies of mm-hmm. our whiskey reviews. We only produce fifty two of them a year, mm-hmm. so I've got at least an extra hundred bottles <laughs> that sit around that never get touched or never yeah. see the light of day. So it's one of those things that it is now it's off the shelves. It's mm-hmm. curving the floors. It's over top the cabinets. Oh my gosh! So that's I'm looking forward to having a party and getting rid of a lot of the well. stuff. In case you didn't know, I can help you with that. You just okay. sit, you just tell me when it works for you, and I will bring people. Well, here's here's the warning. <laughs> here's the warning sign with it is that oh. even though there's a lot of good bourbon gets that gets sent, there's also a lot of bad bourbon that gets sent <laughs> because it's these it's distillers all yeah. around the country, and they want you to talk about their product. They're looking mm-hmm. for the, just a little bit of recognition or something, yeah. and, and I'll be honest, like we'll try something, mm-hmm. and we don't always review it and that's because whatever you put on the internet it's going to be out there forever Mm -hmm. so if we try something and it's young it's grainy it's craft it's just not good Mm -hmm. it actually does more damage for the brand for us to actually put out a negative review because anybody knows that whiskey will mature over time it typically always gets better Mm -hmm. so if you send me your two and two or three year old and it's not ready and Mm -hmm. i put a bad review out there Mm -hmm. And then you wait another two more years and you've got a four or five-year-old whiskey out there. And that's typically the point is four to six years, it it typically Mm -hmm. changes. Well, SEO is a bad thing for you. And so if you somebody Googles your bourbon for a review and something I put out two years ago still ranks too high and it's bad, it does nobody any good. So I don't want to make enemies in the space and there's no point in steering people away from it. So... if we ever review something, odds are it's going to be at least three middle thumbs all the way, but at least mm-hmm. some, some thumbs up in the process, too. I love that because that's really what I try to do with my reviews as well because I'm here to spotlight good things and not run a smear campaign because, I mean, I think there's way too much negativity in the world and we need to focus on the good things. And um, so I really appreciate that about your podcast. And mostly what I like to listen to is not so much um, 
the tasting reviews, but the stories where you highlight um, the stories behind the people who are making the bourbon and how they came to do that. Like I listened to, I think every episode where you interview somebody from Michter's, so I'm kind of like on a Michter's kick right now, but, um, uh, thank you for doing that and for really just bringing out the people yeah, I mean, behind the this, product. This was something that it was when we started the show, when Ryan came to me, Ryan is my co-host for this and he's the one that had you had the original idea for bourbon pursuit. Oh, okay. So he came to me and he asked me, he's like, Hey, you want to do a bourbon podcast? I go, well, let's see what else is out there. I'm typically a dream killer because mm. if you want to do something, I guarantee you somebody else, somebody's either already done it they can execute it better than you mm. and he said let's do a bourbon podcast so I, I looked and saw what was out there i always give a tip of the hat to mark gillespie from whiskey cast he was the one that really paved the way for us and but his was more the whole realm of whiskey mm-hmm. scotch japanese irish and it was more b2b focused there was again some people that were sitting around a microphone sniffing elmer t lee going oh it smells like caramel and vanilla I'm like, <laughs> why would i want to listen to this right yeah so it was my my manager at the time, and he still runs a very successful tech podcast this day called The Cloudcast, where he invites startup CEOs to come on, mm-hmm. talk about their product, how they got there. And I said, that's what's missing. Like, mm-hmm. how do we get a voice from inside the industry? Mm-hmm. And how do we get people to connect with the brands that they know and love, mm-hmm. such as you and Michter's? Right, because people buy from people. And once you really, like, awesome, obviously a great product could speak for itself, but... If you find somebody and you believe in what they're doing, then you're going to want to try everything they come out with, right? So, yeah, that's one of those things. It builds some loyalty. Yeah, it it builds loyalty, but at the same time, there's just so many great personalities and characters Mm -hmm. behind the the brands that people don't know about. And there's so many women in bourbon now that, um, well, they're starting to be. um, Here's the thing there always has been, but now it's getting exposed a lot more because. Mm -hmm just call it what it is. It's like people want to really start highlighting that a lot Mm -hmm. more. Uh, You know, everything is, you know, equality and everything like that, which Mm -hmm. is certainly in due regard because somebody like Peggy No Stevens that had been doing Mm -hmm. it forever, but she was always hidden behind another guy. Yeah. Even though she was the first master taster for Brown Foreman, uh, but she was never given any industry recognition until Mm -hmm. a lot later. And those are one of those things. It's now it's being elevated and promoted a lot more than it had been in many recent years past. Yeah. And that's really exciting for me too, because I think there's a lot of things I've been interested in throughout my life that I felt like I wouldn't have been welcome in that space because, because I'm a girl and that's for boys, right? As a child. Um, so it's really refreshing, like as my daughter is growing up to see those kind of things dissolve so she has so many more options that just look readily available. She's like, oh, yeah, I see that woman doing that and that woman doing that. So, yes, it, it's good cool. to see that. And you're right. I mean, you, you want to provide those options and, and showcase uh, every, what everybody's doing as well. I remember talking to Marianne and to Jackie and a lot of them. And even though they love the recognition now, they're always still looking forward to the day when it's not the like, I don't want the recognition just because I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. I want the recognition because I do a damn good job. Well, sure. And so that's what they're looking forward to. It's like they don't want to get the questions of like, what's it like to be a woman in bourbon? Like they yeah. don't they don't want to get they that. don't yeah <laughs> they don't want to get that anymore. You know they they want to just know more. They want to talk about the craft, not just about being a female, but just mm-hmm. being a real you know steward and member of the industry. Mm-hmm. 
Well, tell us some more about how you came to be doing a bourbon podcast. You said you were kind of the naysayer at first, and then yeah. So, what kind of won you over? It, like I said, there there was a there was an opening. There was a niche that hadn't been explored yet. And mm-hmm. if you get into podcasting, I I've talked to a lot of podcasters too, and it's it's one of those things that you have to just find your niche and own it mm-hmm. because nobody's gonna be Joe Rogan. I don't care yeah. if you think you're the funniest person in the mm-hmm. world. Nobody's going to be Joe Rogan. Right. That is somebody that can do a catch-all of everything. Mm-hmm. You have to – Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk is somebody that said, you know, by finding a niche and owning it, he goes, you can make $80,000 a year if you just want to talk about nothing but peanut butter. Mm-hmm. But if there's – you can find your smallest viable audience and they help support you – you can just build something around something so so tight-windowed like mm-hmm. that. And focused. Yes. And so, granted, that's why we didn't go the whole whiskey category. But mm-hmm. we said... Because that's very broad across the whole world. It sure is. And Bourbon was mostly focused on Kentucky. I mean, for the most part, it, it, it has been. And it's, mm-hmm. it's starting to grow much beyond that. But the idea is we started that back in March of 2015. Mm-hmm. Right as a lot of stuff was really starting to pick up. And, I mean... Right time, right place, right Giant. medium, right everything, because it wasn't a crowded space. We had an opportunity to, to call people like at Buffalo Trace and mm-hmm. say, hey, can we get Harlan Wheatley on the show? Mm-hmm. Like, what's it for? Like, a podcast. I'm like, what's a podcast? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the those are the early conversations that we we formed a lot of those early relationships. And we you know able to nurture those over time. And so now when we pick up the phone and we ask somebody to call or be a part of this you know, we've, you know, A, you had the first mover aspect, but be able to mm-hmm. grow it as much as we could. Mm-hmm. But B, you know, we are able to have those early conversations. And so they look at it as, as somebody that had really started at the very beginning, kind of hustled to where we got now. And so we took it for something in 2015. It was just an idea. Actually, it started off as a winter project. It was never going to be nothing more than that. And anybody that gets into podcasting will find out that there is a burnout period where you feel that you're spending way too much time on this. There's no ROI. Where's the yeah. where's the money coming from? This is taking time away from my family, my job, mm-hmm. my whatever. And you're just like, what's the point of doing this? Mm-hmm. But you will eventually see some sort of glimmer of hope. Something yeah. will change. Something will turn around. And that happened to us uh, on a few occasions where all of a sudden, okay, like we did something different. Now we see money coming in. Okay. Mm-hmm. We did something different. Now we have Fred Minnick joining the show, which mm-hmm. is one of the world's largest authorities in bourbon. And he wants to join our show. And those were really pivotal and changing moments for us mm-hmm. where we took it from, again, just a, a project with a few guys sitting around a microphone with a guest in the industry to kind of just listen to their story to now being the world's largest whiskey podcast with, 40 to 50,000 listeners every single month, uh, 180,000 downloads a month, 2 million downloads a year this year alone. And it's just amazing to kind of see how that journey transformed from just an idea to, to what we're doing now. That is an amazing it, it, it story just all the way around. And you don't work in the broadcast media day-to-day no. so this was really stepping outside your norm right uh, rosa if i could <clears throat> it, it, it almost pains me to kind of go back and listen to the earlier episodes <laughs> because right. it was one of those things i mean i get it i see what you're doing everything's bootstrapped right yeah. you're doing it on on what you know how to do and your equipment because yeah there's blogs that tell you to do this but there's not a there's not a handheld guide that says, oh, this is what you do to put out a quality podcast or audio editing or anything like that. And we've had to just learn yeah. over the entire time. I mean, we learned at the very beginning we had a laptop 
with a blue yeti microphone with three or four people huddled around that and that's all we would do mm -hmm. until it progressed and we said okay let's get a field recorder we got microphones and now we have now we have broadcast you know level, level equipment, equipment. Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean it's the microphones start at four hundred dollars for us like that's oh, well i mean it's just one of those things that the money came in you can make mm -hmm. the show a lot better and it was just one sure. of those things that it just it continually just grew over time and now we're again just kind of keeping the, the the wheels greased the the cogs going <laughs> we've got a really good system set up where we we know exactly when we're recording how we're going to record uh, especially for the three episodes we put out every single week now and making sure that we have a, a consistency with it too. Yeah. And consistency is so important. And I think, um, you got to feed the algorithm. That's what it right? is. Right. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. And, um, I think you and I should talk more about that later as well. But, um, do you have it before we move on to your special bourbon that you brought that I can't wait to talk about? Um, do you have any tips for people who are wanting to start their own podcast of one or two things that you think they should know going into it? Yeah. First was already mentioned is that you've okay. got to find the niche right? and do the research to make sure that there's not 40 other shows just like yours because you've got to find the audience. Mm -hmm. And if you just can't put out a podcast and thinking that people are going to come, mm -hmm. everything is strategic. You have to do marketing. You have to do social media. You have to do everything to be able to find those. For us, we saved and we banked and we released the first, I think, seven or six or seven episodes at the first go. But a part like of doing all at once, all at once. Mm -hmm. and a part of doing that is <laughs> the one of the first episodes we released well, of course, it was us and Harlan Wheatley, but was also Blake Ryber, who was one of the biggest bloggers in bourbon at the time, mm. having him on the show and utilizing him and his email list oh, to actually gotcha. put it out there because we were the only bourbon bloggers at the time that were really, or sorry, bourbon podcasters. Mm -hmm. And having utilizing him and his email list got it out to 50,000 people on day one. Oh, okay. So there were, there's definitely... You know, you have to be strategic about it and about mm -hmm. what you want to do. And have those intentional conversations with other people in that niche so that they can support your growth. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And it's one of those things, too. Don't overthink it too much of, of going in and having a plan. Like, what are we going to talk about and what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. You will find over time that your ability to have a conversation just gets easier. You mm -hmm. learn how to say better. You learn how to ask better questions. You learn how to just have a better flow of a conversation. And so it's one of those things that... It takes practice, and I will. That's probably the point number two, is that before you ever release your first episode, I would say, do at least three or four practice episodes, mm -hmm. just talking to somebody. Interview your mom, interview <laughs> your spouse or a friend or whomever it is, and just do that because that will get in a good flow where you feel comfortable asking questions and doing an interview or anything like mm. that, and that's going to help you just become a. a better like I said better interviewer and have a better product in the day too yeah that's great and so many people probably need more practice having conversations in general just because I think we have so many abbreviated communications through email and text and WTF stuff. right right <laughs> exactly what emoji am I gonna put here so um not that those things don't have their place <laughs> but I think one thing people love about podcasts is they get to be a part of that conversation. And um, I think that is something that a lot of people enjoy. So Yeah, you can bring yeah. somebody into the conversation. And that's one thing that we do is we try to find a topic and try to find a, a well-known authority 
mm-hmm. in that topic and they can speak intelligently about it because mm-hmm. when we started the show, it wasn't because we knew anything about bourbon. We didn't, right. know, we didn't know crap about bourbon. We mm-hmm. were just interested in it. Now we've grown to the point where people look at us and they think we're the experts, <laughs> which is an odd turn of events because now we'll... I mean, we'll, now we'll, you've tried almost all of the bourbons there are. So if you're not an expert, who is? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say we, we are... We do get a lot of bottles sent to us, as I mentioned before. We do mm-hmm. have a chance to do a lot of barrel picks. But mm-hmm. the great thing about bourbon is that it is the perfect product because bur- every barrel produces a different type of whiskey every single time. There's only so much of it that'll ever go around. Mm-hmm. And so scarcity is always at play. Mm-hmm. And there is always something to continually talk about. And now that the bourbon world is really blown up and gone exponentially bigger from what it was when I began. Mm-hmm. There is no shortage of news and everything that's coming out with distillers that are expanding or new products that are coming out on a weekly basis. And so those are the things that keep it continually interesting as well. That is, it is really exciting to see it just really explode. And I love like all of the renovation it's brought to Louisville, especially like downtown with Whiskey Row and the tourism and with the emphasis on history as much as anything else. I have friends who don't even drink and they'll go on distillery tours because there's so much history that revolves around it. So, and you get a little bit of whiskey at the end of it usually. So right. that that's, that's worth the time. Speaking of which, what did you bring with you tonight? Yeah, so it was one of these things that when we started the show, we didn't have any ideas or dreams or ambitions about where this was going to go. And as I mentioned before, burnout's a real thing. It's not like when you start a podcast, people are beating on your door. You mean you didn't have a five-year plan and a script for everything written out? (laughs) Yeah. You know, people aren't banging on your door to throw you money. So (laughs) we didn't know what we were going to do. And to roll it back a little bit, it was around 2018, we talked on the show and we, we talked about this brand. It was this small little boutique liquor store that was in Memphis, Tennessee, and they were coming out with their own private label whiskey that was just going to be at their store. It was called Doc 52s. Mm-hmm. We talked about it. We said, you know, this is interesting, but it's nothing new because mm-hmm. grocery store chains, pharmacies, doctor's offices, part of Prohibition, mm-hmm. they all used to have their own private label whiskey too. Mm-hmm. So didn't think anything of it, just had a conversation. About a week and a half later, I get a phone call, and this guy goes, hey, you talked about that brand. I helped build that. Ooh. Would you be interested in starting your own? We're like, well, tell me more. Right. And so, <laughs> Why would I not? Yeah, so that, <laughs> that kind of kicked off a, a long series of events where mm-hmm. we got to really know this guy. He was a barrel broker. He gave us a really cool opportunity where we would go and hand-select barrels that we wanted to bottle into our own private label. Mm. Picture the same thing as you would get a, a Knob Creek or Four Roses barrel selection. You know, mm-hmm. just that one barrel, 180 bottles of it, and that's it. And we did that for about 20 or 30 different releases. Mm. And we realized that's not scalable. We mm. can't bring that to a wider market. It was cool to make a few extra bucks because we have all that. Mm-hmm. But that is a also a very time-consuming process yeah. to, to do everything. You got to source glass. You got to find barrels. You got to do TTB. There's government regulations. There. This is like the most heavily regulated yeah. industry. It's a, it's a nightmare, but it's still fun at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> so we said we got to figure out a way to how do we create a, a small batch product, something that we can put together and we can put out. 2,000, 4,000, 15,000 bottles at a time, and we can go and take it to multiple cities, multiple states, multiple markets, and get it out to our broader audience. So we went on this expedition and tried to find out how do we create something that is unique to our audience that just isn't more the same. 
because even before we started recording, you saw it and you were like, oh, is this MGP? And I said, no. Like, we are, <laughs> I we can are, proudly say it we is are different. Not. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. There's good whiskey, but I just feel like there's just so much of it out there. Mm-hmm. You, you want to be special. Well, I just want to be different. That's, <laughs> that's what it is. Okay. It, it would have been a too, too easy hill to climb to just put out more MGP because people mm-hmm. were already familiar with it. They know what it tastes like. They know what Smoke Wagon, Penelope, Nulu, I mean, you mm-hmm. name it. Right. Every, you turn around all these bottles on the shelf it says distilled indiana the back mm-hmm. it's all the same stuff in a different bottle mm-hmm. so we said how do we create something that's going to be different and we didn't want to just go source it from one distillery and put it into a bottle because anybody could do that or you're competing directly with the distillery itself or even in the same state yes mm-hmm. well that's what we said it's like well let's figure out how we can do something different so we started partnering and working directly with distilleries that we had been buying barrels off of already and we said well, let's come out with our own proprietary blend that combines different states, different distillates, different aging climates, different barrel types to create something that hadn't been discovered yet. Mm. Because if you're going to go on the, the shelf of all the whiskey, it's like, yeah, you've got wild turkey and you've got nine different variations of it from mm-hmm. 101 to Russell's Reserve to rare breed to whatever. And it's just, <laughs> it's the same whiskey on a different proof, no difference. But what we can do is we can provide, again, a unique characteristic, a unique aspect where we can start blending multiple states together and that's what we landed on that united concept so pursuit united is our baby that we launched back in 2020 was the bourbon and we've been growing that and then we also followed along right behind it with a rye product that we had partnered not only with bardstown bourbon company but as well with sagamore Mm. spirit that's based out of baltimore maryland wow so we're only the ones on the market that actually has Baltimore's product right now. Oh. And, oh, yeah. So Sagamore, they've been using MGP for a while. And so they're weaning off of that and creating their own. Mm-hmm. But they've still got maybe another year or two until they have their own out there. But mm-hmm. we're one of the only ones proudly be able to say that we have Maryland and Kentucky rye whiskey out there. Wow. That is pretty special. And then who is instrumental in helping decide how to blend them? So that this all started a little bit before COVID began is when this project began. Okay. What we would do is we had different distillates. We knew it was on the open market. We had different stuff we were partnering with. We grabbed bottles and just started blending stuff together to see what we can make. Mm-hmm. Ryan and I, my partner in the podcast I talked about earlier, we would go back and forth and just do test blends and see who would win. And he kicked <laughs> my butt every single time. He won based on blind tastings you did for your friends, just, or like who, just tastings because I like he would he'd give me some of his samples, mm-hmm. I'd give some of his samples, I'd mm-hmm. still have some of mine, and I'd taste mine against his, and his were just always better, hands Aww. hands down, wasn't Way even a to question. Go, Ryan. So that's that's when I said, <laughs> all right, Ryan, you blend, <laughs> I'll run spreadsheets. Nice. So I I am, so he's master blender, a master spreadsheet person. Oh, so that's what it everybody comes down needs to. their yin and their yang. Yep. And and so that's why he's he's been the one that he's really harnessed his craft. He's doing an amazing job with it. Now we've had four different releases. We're getting ready to bottle again here in the next few weeks oh, for our same. next release of, of our new what called Oak Collection, which is everybody has a toasted release so now we're gonna have a toasted release nice. um, yes and we have our, our rye finished and sherry casks as well so okay. we're just trying to do a lot of different things and keep it keep it interesting too yeah so how many bottles will you then have available so or is that a thing you can even tell me or yeah, yeah, do yeah. you need to have it be scared no i mean it's <laughs> so our our last run of united bourbon united rye was somewhere around 10 to twelve thousand bottles each 
okay. and that's distributed through nine different states. So we're in Colorado, Illinois, Georgia, Tennessee, sorry, Tennessee, Kentucky, <laughs> Tennessee, Texas, Ohio, and New Mexico. And we're also online at Sealbox uh, and Missouri. So there's, there's the nine. And then our next run of the Oak Collection will be much more limited. So it'll be around 2,000 bottles of each. But that'll, again, it'll be distributed through a bunch of different states. So it'll be a little bit more, a little, a little more limited to find. Fantastic. Yeah. So um, is there anything else you want to tell us about the the tasting notes on these? Well, I mean, I, I don't want to give away the tasting notes. You can find oh, all of, you oh, can find okay. it all on the website, you know, okay. so people, I mean, I, if you want to talk about it, be no. my guest. No. <laughs> so it's one of those I, things that it's, it's so weird to talk about tasting notes sometimes because Remember when we talked about it before, I said we never wanted to be a whiskey review podcast. And then all of a sudden, people started asking us to do whiskey Aww. reviews. And so we did them just yeah. to appease people because they wanted to hear what we think. And now we have our own whiskey. And it's it's like, I want you to go try it. Like, mm -hmm. I want you yeah. to discover it. The only thing that I can give you is the solace and satisfaction knowing that this is a whiskey brand made by true whiskey geeks. <laughs> so we're not going to put out some young grainy sort of craft <laughs> brand we're not going to just come out with another mgp or just something that you can just get from one distillery and put in it but we're truly trying to find something unique and different and make that or make our audience more more excited about getting behind something like that instead of just the same thing over and over and over again definitely well i will say I mean, your, you already finished yours. I finished my blended straight bourbon whiskey real quick. Whiskeys, plural, it says on the bottle. Mm -hmm. They're both 108 proof. And what were you telling me about that? It's one better than one. Well, <laughs> so there's a story behind how we got to 108. Oh, I need the story. So Ryan, he's from Bardstown. Grew up playing football with Freddie No. Went to high school with Drew Colesveen, master stiller over at Willett. So we, we have all these relationships in Bardstown. Not only just through that, but through the podcast as well. Mm -hmm. And we're podcasters, so we don't have a hydrometer available mm -hmm. for us to actually go and figure out a proof. So we would do all these test blends, and we would add water to it, but not knowing what the proof was. Mm. And we were like, okay, I think this is it. Mm -hmm. So we made another test blend, took it to Willet because they've got their $30,000 hydrometer up there. Right. Take it, puts it in. It takes a solid 90 seconds to start spitting out a receipt. Mm -hmm. And it comes out. And it says 108.26. We go, this is perfect. Yeah. It's not 101 because everybody assumes Wild Turkey 101. Mm. And Weather 107, right? Because that's what he mm -hmm. assumes. And so we're like, hey, we're one better than 107. <laughs> so 108. <laughs> so we felt like that's the that's a good number that we can get behind that our audience can still, you know, they can still gravitate towards. Because mm -hmm. Weather 107 by far is a, it's a heavily allocated, hard to find product. People were always mm -hmm. clamoring to find it. But we're still two points lower than a Russell's Reserve at 110. Mm -hmm. So it's still approachable enough for people that are getting into the space. So we felt yeah. like we have a really good happy medium there. Well, and I love that you made the decision that this is what you want. And then you just found out the number. It's not like you were targeting a specific proof for its own sake. But yeah. really, the focus was on the experience of how it tasted, right? Yeah, it was truly trying to blend it to the taste that we wanted. Mm -hmm. And then it just so happened that the rye worked out perfectly at that. Yeah. And so we said. Oh, that was an accident. Too? Well, I mean, yeah, it really was because we you he, guys just know together. what you like, he right? <laughs> yeah, he, I'm, I'm, I kid you not. He blended the taste. We tried okay. it, and we're like, well, let's take it to the lab. And I think it was a little bit higher. It might have been 108 or 109, 
uh, somewhere around there, and we're like, okay, we could, <laughs> it was a little bit higher than just 108.26, uh-huh. and we're like, just dial it back to 108. It's perfect. Uh-huh. So then we'll, you can stay consistent. Yeah, and that's why we said yeah. I think that's just going to be our magic number. I love that. Well, I love everything about that, and I really did like the rice. See, I finished it too, but um, it did tingle all the way around my tongue, so <laughs> I, I had to go slower on that one. Well, cheers. I'm glad you like it. It's one of those things yeah. that we truly made it for our audience of, of bourbon enthusiasts, mm-hmm. people that want to, again, just have something different. It's not going to be the, always the same stuff. It's not be from the big boys, right? It's going to be something that... You're also going to go and you're not putting it in the hands of a, of a Diageo, right? You're helping, you're helping fun two people that are really trying to build this thing and, and yeah. get into bourbon full time. Well, yeah. And I mean, usually I would go look for a Kentucky bourbon, not, uh, what was it? Maine? Maryland. Maryland. I wasn't going to go looking for Maryland bourbon. So, I mean, you already took me out of, on an out of state experience. It's, so. it's one of those things that uh, Pat Heist from Wilderness Trail said it best. He had a TED talk. A legit TED Talk, not like, oh, this is my TED Talk. There yeah. kind of has a meme around. Yeah. And his said that, um, you know, bourbon can be made anywhere in the United States. Mm-hmm. But if you want to drink, it has to be made from Kentucky. Oh. So that's his thing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. as we've gone through this and we've met so many distillers, we've tried so many bourbons out mm-hmm. there. We know that there's a lot of great bourbon made outside of Kentucky. Oh, and so yeah. we want to do is, is showcase more of that. Mm-hmm. and. And it's the hard part for us is because we're continually on this this customer education mm-hmm. path because yeah. it would have been a lot easier just to source from MGP. It would have mm-hmm. a lot easier just to go to Bardstown Bourbon Company and say, all right, we like your 75-21-4 four mash bill. Let's go ahead. We'll put, put our label on yeah, it. Yeah, put our label on it. Just go ahead. I'll buy 100 barrels of it. It would have been mm-hmm. so easy to do that. But we figured that we can create something different. And we just got to get people to try it and get outside of that that only Kentucky stigma, right? So that's right. what we're, we're trying to break that now, even though we have kentucky in both these blends right yes we, we knew yes. we had to have it we yes. couldn't be kentucky boys and not have it so we had to at least you know have something for our heritage there oh definitely but like even some of our really good kentucky um staples like mictors originated in what pennsylvania yep, exactly so i mean you know Let's not just be limiting ourselves here. That's Mictors is what converted me to thinking I even liked rye. I thought I didn't like any rye. Mm-hmm. And I had a flight of, um, I think, four different, three bourbons and their rye. And that's the one I liked and better than all the others. And I was like, what is this? And then I was, I was like, flights are the only way to have bourbon from yeah. now on. Mictor's rye, Russell's rye, any of those, like a Kentucky-style rye, I enjoyed a lot more than your typical MGP 95.5. So MGP, as we kind of mentioned before, Midwest Grain Products, they have, they're like the elephant in the room, or gorilla, whatever you want to say, <laughs> but they have essentially brainwashed people thinking that 95.5 was what rye whiskey should taste like, because that's what oh. they produce, and that's what I would say... 70 to 80 percent of the rye whiskey on the shelves all turn around it all says distilled in india in the back that's mm-hmm. bullet rye that's templeton rye that's everything it all says distilled mm-hmm. in india in the back and it's all from the same 95.5 mm-hmm. so what we wanted to do is again kind of go against that grain if you will so, <laughs> against that grain <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pun intended yeah so this starts with a heavy base coming from sagamore spirit of a 50 52 percent rye 43 percent corn five percent malted barley and that's pretty similar to what you see with 
even though Michter's and Wild Turkey don't necessarily give you their mash bills, mm-hmm. but a Kentucky is going to have a lot more corn mm-hmm. inside of this 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 rye category, and that's oh. what delivers a sweeter profile, and well, not that's just why this. I liked yours though. And not this big kind of spice bomb, right? So that's kind of yeah. what we. That's that's why Michter's rye was a it was if, our goalpost. Right. If I wanted a spice bomb, I would just drink Tabasco. <laughs> yeah, there I'm you go. Trying to get some bourbon out of this deal. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing this with me tonight, Kenny. And I've learned so much from you already, and I'm so excited to keep listening you're the first podcaster i've ever had on my podcast so this is kind of a milestone for me thank you well i appreciate you thank you for having me on yeah and then if people want to listen you have the bourbon pursuit podcast and they can support you on patreon as well and get some access do you do giveaways as well we do a lot of everything yes you can find bourbon pursuit wherever you find your podcast bourbonpursuit.com uh, if you type in the word bourbon, we should be the number one result. If we're not, wow. I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm not doing my job. Oh, okay. Yep. You can support on Patreon. We have a, a very vibrant community, a little bit over 900 people in there, but really inside of there, we have our own barrel picking club. So we do, we pick around 50 barrels a year from various distilleries mm-hmm. located across the country and in Kentucky, and you get access to those. Uh, if you want to learn more about our products, PursuitSpirits.com, and you can Pursuit find Spirits. Pursuit United on the shelves across Kentucky and Liquor Barns, Total Wine, Evergreen, you name it. So it's going to be there. And if since I don't like free time, we even started a second podcast, <laughs> and it's called it's called Behind the Pursuit from Bourbon to Brand, and that is a story of how we're building this bourbon brand so it's oh, about it's we only release that we release that one every two weeks okay and it's just a store it's it's sort of what are the the milestones and revelations that we're learning about of, of building a bourbon brand and how how yeah. difficult it is because some people think mm-hmm. oh, all you do is you just dump some barrels in a bottle and you sell it it's oh, far my. from that yeah, like you said, it's one of the most regulated things you could try to do. Yes. So that's lots of red tape. Well, thank you so much for bringing this to life for us today. Thank and you. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Lou Review, subscribe, and we will see you in the next episode.